Good one. So we've been going through the book of Numbers as a church, and we're actually going to carry that on a little bit today. And as we looked at uh, what we're going to do at Easter, there's a really interesting thing in the Gospel of John where Jesus um, talks about what happened in the book of Numbers. But we're going to get there. First, I want you to think about this word, deliberate. And not just think about it. I want you to talk to the person or people next to you what you think about this word, what it means, how you'd use it in a sentence, what would be opposites of that word. Okay? So talk to your neighbor, get to know, say hello to your neighbor, learn their name if you don't know them, and uh, talk about that word for a couple of minutes. Okay, so that is the only thing you have to remember. You think, uh, what happened in church today? Oh, just, oh, it's just one word. So there you go. It's easy for you. So let's read uh, the scriptures, Numbers 21, Numbers 21, verses 4 to 9, the bronze snake. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Eden. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us? up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness. There's no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it on a pole, and anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. John, the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 14 to 16. Jesus said this, just as Moses lifted up the snake, in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And Lord, as we open up your scripture today, we ask your Spirit would speak to us. Your Spirit would speak to us individually and as a people, for your honor and glory. Amen. So only about these two incidents happened of a gap of only about 200 kilometers apart, but 1,400 years apart. So not too far in terms of distance, but a long time in terms uh, of time. And that famous verse, probably the best known verse in all the Bible, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loved the world so much he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him won't perish 
but will have eternal life. Deliberate, deliberate. So what happened in the desert? They moaned. They moaned. And their sin was deliberate. That was deliberate. It wasn't accidental. The people became impatient, ungrateful, rebellious. They spoke against Moses. They spoke against God. We detest this worthless food. That said miserable. That, that, that actual word is the one and only place that's used in the Old Testament. Kelokal. Kelokal. This worthless food. This food that saved them for 40 years. That was their lifeline. That got them to the promised land. And it was regular every day except the Sabbath. They had this, this manna that God gave them. And the way they describe it here is worthless. Impatient, ungrateful, rebellious. You know, their sin was not accidental. It was deliberate. Our sin is not accidental. It's deliberate. We choose to sin. Doesn't just happen. Book of Romans is very clear on this. Starts with the Gentiles in chapter 1, ignoring the signs of God. And then, just as the Jews are feeling really good about that, gets to chapter 2, and it says, we too have, despite having this religious pedigree, we too have this deliberate bias to rebellion. We've turned against God. Romans 3.23 All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Kuahara kato hoki akahori e taia e te We've all sinned and not arrived at the glory of God. Our sin, their sin, Everyone's, it's deliberate. It's not accidental. The snakes, verse 6, God sent venomous snakes. The snakes are deliberate. The snakes did not just show up. God sent the snakes. God does punish. Got that? God does punish. And you might say that doesn't fit your philosophy of faith and life. Well, too bad. <laughs> God does punish. Philosophy and theology are different. And what does God say? What does the Bible say? God does punish. Christian theology is based on the Bible and God does punish. And the God of the Bible is about many things. The God of the Bible is about love and justice, and mercy, and holiness, and he does punish. Punishment is part of the story of God. God's punishment is deliberate. Those who have been following the Israel Falau story, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, very interesting. And the classic misunderstanding from the unbeliever standpoint is that... Um, the question, would God send snakes that bite and kill? Well, he did. He did. 
and God does punish. And Israel Flower is not saying, go to hell, you sinful Australians. He's not saying that. He's saying, uh, you know what? This is a warning. You run the risk of going to a, a Christless eternity if you do not repent and turn to God through Christ. And there is a difference between those two things. But God does punish. The snakes are deliberate because the sin is deliberate. And thirdly, the salvation is deliberate. Verses 7 to 9. It wasn't that the snakes just wandered away. The salvation that came about was deliberate. And there's two parts to that. It's like, like railway lines. The people were deliberate. They came to Moses and they confessed. They said, we have sinned. And when they were bitten, they physically moved to the pole and they looked up at that bronze snake and they were saved. Moses, and secondly, Moses and God were deliberate. The second part, that's the second railway line. And Moses amazes me. You know, that he was the focus of the rebellion. If he, if it was me, you know, my temptation would be, well, serves you right, you know. But he didn't. Uh, numbers, I think it's 12. It says Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. And despite their rebellion being aimed at him, he's part of the salvation. And he obeys God. He gets his pole, gets a bronze snake, puts it up, and the people can come, look at it, confess, and they're saved. They don't die. Both railway lines are important. There's God's effort and there's our effort. And the theologians amongst you uh, will notice there are two things there. There is uh, God's effort, which is called Calvinism, which stresses the importance of God. God chooses. He, he chooses us, and he makes the effort to save us. That's one railway line, Calvinism. And there's Arminianism, and it says um, we need to make an effort to get to God. We need to decide we need to confess. We need to turn to God. Uh, now, Calvinism is, is correct. Arminianism is correct. If you emphasize too much of one or the other, it gets warped. But both are correct. There's God's effort. There's our efforts. Both. Railway lines. One railway line by itself, the train gets a bit wobbly. I wouldn't recommend it. So after 1,400 years of this event, about 200 kilometers north, descendants of a desert pilgrims, the living in the place that was dreamed of by Moses and the people. One night, one religious teacher comes to talk to another religious teacher. The first one's name is Nicodemus. The second one's name is Jesus from Nazareth. Why did he come at night? Well, we lived in West Africa, and some things were done at night. A lot of people actually moved house at night because they didn't want their neighbors to see their stuff. <laughs> uh, another time I picked up a, 
a mother and, and just a newborn baby. And it wasn't at night, but it was um, very secretive. And as she got out of our truck, she covered the baby and ran into the um, her hut that was all dark because she didn't want the neighbors to see this newborn baby and the potential to um, curse the baby. And so Nicodemus, he comes at night. So it wouldn't be obvious. wouldn't be obvious. And Jesus has a big talk to Nicodemus, recorded in John chapter 3. And Jesus says, if I get lifted up like the snake on the pole that our ancestors looked at, if I get lifted up like that, I will draw all people to me. Like those old days, in if I get lifted up like that, and Jesus says to Nicodemus, but you need to be deliberate. You need to be deliberate. This will not happen by accident. You can't go around sneaking at night, Nicodemus, a foot in both camps. You need to be deliberate. Are you for me, Nicodemus, or not? What are you going to do? And Nicodemus does decide. Uh, John chapter 19, it says this. says this. You know, Jesus had said, um, one of the things you said to Nicodemus, it says it's going to be like this, Nicodemus. If you go for me, it's going to be like you're starting a new life. It's going to be like you're being born again. What do you say, Nicodemus? Because it's going to have to be deliberate. It won't be accidental. Jump to John chapter 19. And who comes to get the body of Jesus, of the most powerful man in the land? Who does that? Nicodemus. He decides. He's deliberate. See, faith is deliberate. It's not accidental. Salvation doesn't just happen. It takes action. As we finish, I want to compare the two poles. The pole way back in the, des- in the desert, 1,400 years before the time of Jesus. And then the pole of Jesus, the cross of Jesus. You know, the desert pole, in the desert pole, and in the Jesus pole, there's, there's both. There's both. There's, there's the punishment of death for sin in both. And also in both there's grace, the grace of God. God provides the remedy in both in the desert and in the cross of Jesus. And thirdly, in both cases, something must be lifted up. The snake in the desert and Jesus in Jerusalem. And fourthly, in both cases, those who have believing hearts um, deliberately come into the sphere of the elevated poles. In the desert, the snake. In Jerusalem, Jesus. But there's some differences between those two events. In the desert, the people are punished for their sins. But in Jerusalem, Jesus takes the punishment for our sins. 
in the desert, the remedy God's grace provides an extension of earthly life. The desert people, they died. Whereas in John 3, it provides the way to eternal life. Jesus promises eternal life, life forever. In the desert, the people are provided with uh, temporary physical healing only. But in John 3, John, Jesus promises spiritual healing. Physical healing, spiritual healing. In the desert, the elevated pole in the desert provided grace for the, the desert community of Israel only. But in John 3, Jesus provides grace for everyone from everywhere. The world, te ao, ngā tangata katoa. Racial divisions are torn down with Jesus. God loved the world. God loved the whole world. So with Jesus, he can accept the whole world if they deliberately come in faith to him. This is a love of God for the world. You know, it's, it's, it's a wonderful story from World War II that shows this. That shows this. And, and what happens in World War II? There was, uh, in the last days of World War II, terrible fighting in France. And there were some American soldiers... Uh, one gets shot, killed. His comrades, they, they want to bury him. They see in the distance a Catholic church. And so they think, we'll go there. Maybe there'll be a graveyard. We can bury him there. So they go, they see a priest, um, nearby. They ask the priest, can our, our comrades being shot? Can we bury him in the graveyard? The priest says, no. No, you can't. Uh, the soldiers, they have no option. They, they take him just outside, outside the picket fence of the graveyard. They bury him there. They go back, uh, carry on with the fighting. Sometime later, they come back. They want to do a proper job. And they come back and they look for their um, comrade's body. They can't find it. They go to the priest and say, um, what have you done with, with the body? And he said, well, actually, this is what happened. When you came and you asked to bury him in the graveyard, you know, I couldn't. You, you're not French. You're not Catholic. I could not allow you to do that. But at the same time, I saw your sacrifice and I saw your love. And so what I've done is that I have moved the fence. And this is what God has done. He's moved the fence. So what we see in Jesus at Easter is not just a continuation of God's grace, but it's like a deliberate escalation of God's grace. It's like next level grace. God goes wider. He goes global. And you know this scene in the time of Jesus in the temple, that huge curtain, it's split. You know, God's grace goes wider. Next level grace. And this is what we've come to celebrate today. We're going to celebrate it with communion. 
our worship team's going to come up and we're going to celebrate that escalation of God's grace. It was evident in the desert, but so much more evident in the work of Jesus. Escalation of God's grace. And let's take a time of silence. You know, we, we do need to be deliberate. That has not changed. To take hold of God's grace, that has not changed. We need to be deliberate. We need to confess our sins. We need to come to Christ and confess our sins and say thank you and say yes, take hold of that grace. Let's have a time of silence. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us each individually. Yes, the Holy Spirit, you're welcome. You speak to us now, Holy Spirit, each one of us now. Each one of us now. Whatever we need to confess, whatever we need to say thank you to, to you for what we've been ungrateful for, those good things you've given us, we've grumbled about, people we've grumbled about, you we've grumbled about. I want to confess that now. Let's stand. Let's sing uh, about his amazing grace. After we've sung, uh, we'll come up, we'll have communion. And we'll ask some people to be up here to pray.